So the month of August, we spent in a series called Table Talk. We saw scenes of Jesus out of the Gospel of Luke that showed us how he engaged people just at a, at a meal time. And then last month, uh, we had a series called Street Talk, and we saw Jesus just as he encountered people on the road and how he, how he affected them, how he changed them by this encounter. And this month, we're dealing with Temple Talk. He comes head on with the religious elite of Judaism. They are steeped in their religiosity, and he has to challenge them boldly. And that's where we come to today. It's hard to believe, we're in Luke 20, by the way, if you have your Bibles or devices and want to look at that, it's hard to believe that see, some of these are actual warning signs found on products. In a, on a window air conditioning unit, it says this, caution, avoid dropping air conditioner out of window. Thanks. I wouldn't have thought of that. A tag on an iron red, never iron clothes while wearing them. I have done it. It works just fine. Thank you. Okay. Halloween Superman costume says, cape does not enable user to fly. The Little Ones brand baby oil says, keep away from children. If I were to put a warning sign over this story that Jesus tells today, it would say, don't think God naive. His judgment is coming. People see God that way. The Jewish leaders, even of Jesus' day, saw him that way. He seemed to be a God who didn't really know what's up. He was sort of out of touch with their religion that for them was working just fine. So the religious leaders of the day had a different agenda than the one that Jesus was teaching and preaching about. And his agenda is far different from the natural one we are drawn to as we live here on planet Earth. So it's the, it's the final week. This particular scene we're reading today is taking place in the final week of Jesus' ministry. On Sunday, he rides into Jerusalem triumphantly on that donkey. And they lay their palm branches crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He goes into the city. He looks around. He weeps over the city that day as well because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He goes back to the little village of Bethany. He comes into the city on on. Monday, on the way in, he curses a fig tree. It was an illustration, that tree, of religious leaders who say and, and, uh, and uh, 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 are, are self-promoting in their religiosity, but they have no fruit in their lives. He goes into the city, and he sees again for the second time what they have done to the temple and how money changers are stealing from people, and he drives them out. This is now Tuesday. It is the great day of questions, it's called by scholars. And they pounce on Jesus, these religious leaders. They are determined to do him in. They want him out of their lives. He will be crucified four days later on Friday. He will raise from the dead on Sunday. That's where we are in the life of Jesus. Here's our text, Luke 20, verse 9. He went on to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I'll send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. 
But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, may this never be. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, then what is the meaning of that which is written, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and he on whom it falls will be crushed. The teacher of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. Do you remember a time in your teenage years when you thought your parents didn't have a clue? They gave you direction for your life. They gave you boundaries, expectations, and you slammed your bedroom door and you pouted for a week. That's what we do when we think those in authority over lies really don't get it. It's the same attitude these religious leaders had when they were confronted by the, by the person of Jesus and his teaching. They thought he was somebody out of touch with what real religion should look like. They had bombarded the people with all kinds of rules and regulations that had nothing to do with God, that didn't come from God. They had made this Jewish religion a heavy burden to bear. And they were basically saying to God, God, you are out of touch. You are too naive. You don't understand our lives. We're the sophisticated ones. This parable reveals that in all of us, there is a deep-seated natural enmity Anger, hatred of God. It's just there in all of us because we want control. Now, they are the ones, in fact, who are the naive ones. They think God is the tenant. Now, look here at the three relationships in the parable. They inform us. First of all, the tenants themselves were naive about their relationship to the owner. Here's the owner who has a vineyard. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you can read Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 5, Jeremiah 2, and Psalm 80. And those picture the nation of the Jews like a vineyard that God plants in the world. And that vineyard was to produce. If you're a business owner today, you hire people and you pay fair wages. But to get those wages, they are to follow your instructions for your business, and you expect them to make a profit for you. That's how the economy works. If that doesn't happen, that employee is not going to work for you. They have to follow your word and profit, be a profit for you. It's the same thing when God called the Jews to be a unique people, a chosen people, a separate nation, a holy nation. They were to declare the glory and the greatness of God to all the other nations around them. But in time, they ignored all of that. God had been so good to them. He performed wonders through them. He gave them the law. He gave them the prophets. He gave them the temple. He gave them a path to follow in their job description of declaring his glory in preparation for their nation to bring the Messiah into the world. There were risks. There were costs. There was an investment he made. They were to follow his instructions for his prophet. But these religious leaders 
had become totally unself-aware. These religious leaders suddenly became like my owners instead of the tenants. Their job was to handle God's way, God's words for God's profit, and they didn't. Now, what's this got to do with you and me? It should be obvious because this is critical for us. You look at your life. I look at my life, our biological life, our emotional life, our social life, our family life, our vocational life. Everything about us is because of God, purely him and his design. And we look at all this and what happens to us if we're not careful, even those of us who are in the Lord, who are born again, we start acting like owners instead of tenants. We believe that our profitability, our money, what we own, what we succeed in, whatever prowess we have athletically or musically is ours. We earned it. We deserve it. But we don't. It's all a gift. When we start thinking that way, we're operating like owners in our lives, and we're not. We're t- this is the problem of these leaders in Jesus' day. They felt they had a corner on the market of people's lives and even religion. They refused to listen to God's word. The same thing happens to us because our default setting in this fallen world that's, that's rife with all kinds of evil, our default setting because of our fallen nature is toward self. Always. I want to be in control of my own life. I don't want anybody telling me how to live. Whether it's in the area of power or privileges or, or money. Absol- and absolutely everything else in our culture says the opposite. I can still remember the jingle of McDonald's as a little, bo- a little boy. You know, have it your way. I guess that was Burger King. Wasn't it? Have it your way. Right? You deserve a break today. Go on a vacation. You deserve a vacation. While well, most of the world is eking out an existence. And we have the, the advertising world and our own bent having us buy into that. What I have, I deserve. I work for it. It's mine. In fact, if you look down on anybody else who doesn't have as much money, isn't as isn't athletic, isn't as musical, isn't as smart, isn't as advanced, whose kids aren't as smart, whatever it is, if you look down... You are acting like an owner, not a tenant. It happens to any of us. One of the, one thing, one of the first things our kids say, I do it myself. And as adults, we say it too. It just comes out differently. But that's, that's the bent of our lives. And God is saying to those tenants in the story, He's saying to those religious leaders, he's saying to us, that won't work. Then we have these tenants being naive about the relationship to the messengers. So the owner, God, he sends sends messengers. In the parable, this owner can't believe these tenants aren't, aren't performing in the way he wants them to perform. So he sends messengers to them to warn them, to wake them up, to get them back on track. In the picture of Jewish history, it's the prophets. And when the prophets are sent, they're absolutely disregarded. Jeremiah the prophet prophet is beat up. The Hebrew writer in the New Testament says some prophets were killed. They were run out of town. I mean, that's that's just how the Jews treated these messengers that God sent to awaken them to their foolishness. 
Now, what's that mean in the broader sense? It reminds me that we have this wonderful God of grace that all our lives send all kinds of messengers into our lives to awaken us to our deep need for him. And so for me, for instance, he did give me godly parents. They were pointing me to Jesus. That was a messenger God put in me, uh, toward me, uh, gave to me. Maybe he gave them to you. Maybe you didn't get parents like that. But he sent other messengers. Uh, He also sends messengers in the form of just churches. Now, you can't go. There are no perfect parents, and there are no perfect churches. And you may go to a church, and you get your feelings hurt, or you don't like decisions are made, and you stop going, you stop being around the community of faith, and there'll be a price to pay for that. You stick around here, we'll hurt you in time. You're all fallen people. We're broken people. We don't always do things well. But we're still together, a community of faith. And nevertheless, we get a choice. Am I going to listen to the messenger messenger that God is sending to my life, the message of the gospel? Or I'm going to run away and control my own life? Sometimes he sends providential messengers, like near tragedies, or losses, or bankruptcy courts, or job loss, or a health crisis, or a death, a funeral home, a hospital bed. What is that? All those are providential messengers God sends to our lives to tell us, to inform us, whoa, I can't handle this by myself. I need someone bigger than me. Sometimes he sends us other kinds of messengers that we could call disappointment, or frustration, or emptiness. God God puts this vacuum in us that only he can fill, and we notice there life's pieces aren't fitting together. So what do we do? Well, we change spouses, or we move to another town, or we'll have another kid, or we'll get another job, or we'll make more money, or go on a cruise. Anything to put a Band-Aid over that messenger God is giving us. I'm not where I'm supposed to be in your life. And friends, every one of those messengers, I mean, I mean, there may be reasons why that you don't want to pay attention to God's messengers. Well, my parents, yeah, they, they believed in God, but they were terrible parents. You can't believe how they treated me. Okay. You know, my, my, I can remember one thing that stands out for me. My parents, I had great parents. Were they perfect? Not at all. I remember my, my mom would compare me to Pam. <laughs> Pam was a brain, and I was like a C student. I still remember, why can't you be like Pam? Ticked me off. It still does to tell you about it. <laughs> and mom's dead and with Jesus. She's not listening to recordings anymore, so I'm going to tell you about it. Now, you see, my, my point is, I have a choice. I can live my life ticked with my mom who compares me, or I can follow a mom who I knows, know loves Jesus and look to him like she looked to him. If I had a bad experience in church, I can choose to forgive and work through that and resolve that and and stay on my way, keeping my eye on Jesus instead of people, or I can let people crowd the messenger out and God himself out. I I can sense that emptiness in my life, or I can have these tragic things happen, and I can rail against God. I hate you, God, and walk away and be the owner, and then what do you have left? You see? God is so faithful, and he keeps sending us messengers. Listen, and what you need, and what you need, don't, don't try to be the owner. And yet people do all the time. You see, at this base level, we have this enmity. You know, it, 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 
let me say this too. You know, you can, you can do okay by yourself for a while. You can, I'm, I'm talking decades. You, you can go 20 or 30 years and be doing just fine as the owner. But I tell you, eventually, eventually, it will all fall apart. And you're left with nothing. And you realize you don't own anything. And the problem is when you get to that point, sometimes you're so steeped in it all, you can't hear the messenger. God can't get to your heart. You know, you get your five-old kid in the back seat, sitting on the booster. I want to drive. Can't even see over the steering wheel, right? Can't reach the pedals. It's kind of like us. We're that childish, thinking we can govern our lives well. The Lord says in his mercy, look, I'm going to keep you sending you messengers. I'm going to keep sending. And you can sit in church and still act like an owner. Anybody doing that today? Still operating your life? Your prayer life's pretty sick, you know? You pray to God when you got an emergency, or when you think about it, it's a side thought, sidebar of your life. You depend on 25 minutes on Sunday morning, the scripture, that's all you open the Bible, have nothing, no other word of the Lord coming to your life. You're acting like an owner. You're sleeping with your girlfriend. You see, I, what I'm saying is, this enmity toward God comes out in lots of ways. It just does. We'll get back to that in just a second because it's also true that the tenants were naive about their relationship to the son. You know, this, this is the heart. And, and their meanness just grows in this parable. The sun shows up and then their enmity really erupts. It just pours out. Man hates, hates that life won't work by himself and on his own. Yet Jesus' call doesn't make sense to us, does it? There's nothing sensible about it. If you die to yourself, Jesus says, that's when you're going to find life. You learn to be generous and give your stuff away for the kingdom and for my sake, but I'm going to take care, for you, care of you in a way that you never thought possible. You, you, you lay your life down for the sake of the kingdom, and then you're going to find an exhilaration you can't find anywhere else. It's completely opposite to the world system that says you deserve to have the life you want. You see, at the very base, we hate not being in charge. And here is the one time, the one time God looks and he says, you won't listen to messengers. I've only got one option. I'm going to send you my son. And so what does he do? He doesn't come on a throne. He doesn't come with a crown. He doesn't come through the clouds and glory. He comes in the most vulnerable way possible as a baby who's laid in a manger. And all they can do is find a way to kill him. In John 15, Jesus quotes Psalm 69. He says, they hated me without a cause. It matches what Pilate's conclusion was after Jesus was on trial. I find no fault in him, and we can't. And yet, the Bible says our natural mind, left to our own, our natural mind is enmity toward God. It doesn't say our natural mind has enmity. Our natural mind is enmity. That means the character of our minds on our own is hatred toward God. God enmity. Now, nobody's going to say that today, not in church. 
And nobody's going to say that probably in our ministry area. You have to be hard-pressed to find somebody who says, I hate God. You might. This is the Bible Belt, for crying out loud. You'll have people say, I don't hate God. I mean, you know, religion is really not for me, you know. And if you want to believe him, that's okay. It's just not my thing. I'm a very spiritual person. I just don't believe in, you know, going to church. I'm not sure about the God stuff and all that. You know, we hear it all the time, right? You know what that is? That is enmity toward God. That's not indifference. That's hatred toward him. It's hatred toward God. When God says to guard your tongue, and you know you're not, and you do it anyway, that is hatred toward God. When you do sleep with whoever you want to, whoever you're dating, and you know what the Bible says, what God's expectation, if it's not your spouse, you shouldn't be going to bed with them, and you do it anyway, that is hatred toward God. When God calls us to be generous for his kingdom's sake, and we're tightwads and stingy, that is enmity toward God. When God calls us to pray for those who persecute us and to love our enemies and we refuse to do it because we love uh, licking our wounds and we love being angry, we love feeding that, that is enmity toward God. you see it? Do you understand it? Anytime we're saying, God, I know that's what you're saying, but I just can't do it. That is enmity toward God. And we are called, brothers and sisters, and listen, please know, I am not pointing my finger first at you. I'm pointing it at me. I see in myself my own default setting to move away from being under the lordship of Jesus Christ. I want to do it my way. You see, one of the ways you know you're really all in as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is you've grown past understanding that sin is not just breaking God's rules. Sin is a whole resentment over the one who demands to be Lord of your life. That's the essence of sin. These tenants would never say that they hate God. They think they love him. They just want to operate their religion the way they want to. Just like us, we want to describe and define our own religion and make our own little pact with God apart from his word. Here's the power, the wonder, the glory, the majesty of the cross as, as well as the irony of the cross. This hatred used to kill Jesus and put him on the cross was the very thing the cross made possible to forgive. Jesus took the hatred that put him there. And when they put him on the cross, they were providing a way for their own hatred of him to be forgiven. That's why Jesus could say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Isn't that a mystery? All of our sin put him there. But in that, in that dark day, we find forgiveness. George MacDonald said, either someday... Sometime during this life, you say, God, thy will be done. Or else at the end of time, Jesus will look at you and say, all right, thy will be done. You're on your own. You wanted to be on your own. You wanted to be owner all this time. I kept sending messengers. All right, now, you want to be in charge of your life? Now you are for all eternity. Anyone here living in denial today? 
If you can easily say without any investigation, oh, Jesus, my Lord, you're probably living in denial like me. And you treat him like an enemy. And he so much wants to love you to himself. Stop acting like the owner. Welcome his messengers. And let him deeply love you. He is worthy alone to be Lord over all. And so our Father, we confess, we are so prone to wander. We are so prone to take control and take credit and refuse your authority. Please forgive us afresh today. And may we desire you and you alone to be the one who is Lord of our lives until, until you send Jesus back to take us. In his name we pray.